The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, welcome. Welcome to everyone in the name of Jesus Christ. It's a holiday weekend, so there's lots of people out of town, but while many of us have left town, I just got back into town. In fact, two weeks ago tomorrow... Kim and I and the kids came back from Uganda. I was actually there seven good long weeks. Three weeks I was teaching students from Pepperdine University. I was teaching a course, uh, which I do about every three years for them, on Christianity and culture. It was fantastic. The, The students were fantastic. The experience was great. Then I spent about a week and a half with three interns from Oklahoma Christian who I, whom I worked with in preparation. They were working with Kibo Group International, which is a Christian development organization that uh, my team and I uh, helped develop in Uganda, drilling water wells, health and sanitation, a tree planting project, trying to eradicate poverty, trying to change behavior. Then Kim and the kids joined me. And you bet after four long weeks... I was ready to see those kids, and I was ready to see my wife. And we visited people and played. We got to stay on an island right in the middle of the Nile River. It was a real blessing and a joy. We got to visit with people that we lived with and ministered with for six years when we lived there in Uganda. We got to catch up with them, to be encouraged, to encourage, and... Out of the six Sundays that I was there, I got to preach five out of those six Sundays. One in the church in town, and a church in town, and then four others out in villages. It was a great seven weeks, but I'm glad to be home. And when I say that, not just to be back in my home or my house, but to be home with you. There's nothing like sharing communion with this group of people. There's nothing like the privilege of being able to stand up here and proclaim the word of God to his chosen people here at the Springs. On our way back from Uganda, we flew through Brussels. And I was communicating a little bit with Paul Brazel. And we had the chance to, when we landed, we have a few hours layover. So we went outside security and we had breakfast with Paul Brazel. And let me tell you, the youth that's leaving, when are you guys leaving? They are ecstatic about you guys being there. They can't wait. They're thrilled. They're so excited. I know you guys are excited. I know you're a little nervous, some of you. But they are so happy you guys are coming. And you'll see why. They don't have the kind of youth groups in places like Brussels, in places around the world like where Mitt and Maya come from. They don't have the kind of camps that you just went to, whether it be Zenith or Cornerstone. They don't have that. In so many ways, you guys will go and be God's instruments and sign. You will be his agents in the world, showing, telling, and sharing the love of God with others. In my experience on going on short-term mission trips, even the one I just went on, plus 
what they're about to experience, what I know they're about to experience, it causes me just to well up inside to say, I think we should do this every year. I'm serious. I think not only should the youth group go, but I think we should begin to organize for groups of us to go. In fact, I don't think that. I, I want to challenge you as a congregation. I want, by this time next year, for us to be talking about a group of not only students, but adults who are going to go. And I want to challenge you, not just for those who are brave enough and desire to go, but I want to challenge you, the rest of the congregation, to be able to fund them to go. Because one of the biggest things in my job, working at the Center for Global Missions, I always get is, oh, I don't know how I'm going to raise the funds. Oh, I hate asking people for money. And I want to say, God's the owner of cattle, a thousand cattle on the hill. Let's just pray that he sells some of them. <laughs> so that a group of you might go. And so that's my challenge. By this time next year, we're going to be speaking of some of you as we're speaking of this youth group. And I promise you, you'll go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. And you'll be blessed. And your life will be transformed. And it will transform this congregation. We're beginning a new series today called The Word of the Lord. And what we're doing, what Brett and I are doing for these next two months is we're following the lectionary, which most of us don't know what the lectionary is, but many churches follow what is called the, the Christian calendar. So we do this, we do this at Advent, right, where we talk about the birth of Jesus. We also, many churches celebrate the time of Lent and Easter Sunday. Well, this is called Ordinary Time. And so, then the lectionary text, it gives you a text and a reading, it gives you a gospel and an epistle, it gives you a psalm, it gives you a couple of our little Old Testament readings. And the reason Brett and I are doing this is because we just don't want to bring to you what we think, but we want the whole congregation, including ourselves, to submit to a word that's given to us. And so today, the lectionary text that we're going to be reading it's from Romans chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 6, beginning in verse 12. And oftentimes, churches that follow the lectionary, they'll read the text, and they'll end with the leader of the, that's, reading the test, that, that's reading the text for the day. He'll say at the end, the word of the Lord. And the congregation will respond together, thanks be to God. So I'm going to read Romans 12. I'm sorry, Romans 6, 12 through 23. And at the end, I'm going to say the word of the Lord and invite you to respond back, thanks be to God. Beginning in verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, 
Because you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of the teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and, and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word. May you give us ears to hear and hearts to follow. God, I pray that you give me the gift of preaching. In the name of Jesus Christ, your word to us, we pray. Amen. You are not free. In a few days, we'll be enjoying a break from the norm, enjoying friends, watching fireworks, shoving a ridiculous number of hot dogs into our mouth. Don't get so excited. The National Hot Dog Championship was on TV. It was the only thing on yesterday, I think. We'll be celebrating our independence. But you are not free. At least you're not free in the way Paul sees the world. See, according to Paul, everybody serves something or someone. In fact, one of our great poets, Bob Dylan, once said, you've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. In fact, even some of our best-known soft drink companies understand it. Sprite says, obey your thirst. Because Sprite knows how the world really works. You're not free, and you're going to obey something or someone. And Paul says that sin is like a power 
that's obeyed. In fact, he has a very different image of sin than how we normally talk about it. For Paul, sin is not just something you do. Hey, don't sin. Hey, don't do bad things. Hey, don't do this. Don't do that. For Paul, sin and death are powers that seek to entice and reign over you. The difference between committing a sin and then thinking about sin as a power, the difference between thinking about sin as a, what you do or commit and thinking about it as a, as a power is like the difference of dropping a hammer on your toe. Ow, dropped a hammer on my toe. That hurt. To the power of gravity and the reality of gravity that you have to submit to and think about all the time especially if you're on your top of your roof or climbing a tree or jumping out of an airplane. Thinking about sin as something you commit is like someone who can't swim very well and makes a bad decision to jump in a pool of water in the deep end. But thinking about sin as a power is like Michael Phelps jumping into the mighty white Nile at Etonda Falls, which is 300 yards of white water. And you just feel your body just being swept away. Can't even control your limbs because it's throwing you around like a rag doll. I know that from experience, by the way. We got to wrap the Nile. There's nothing more powerful on the human body and falling, to, falling into rushing water and having no control. Sin is not something you primarily do. It is a power. It's a power that seeks to entice you and reign over you and control you. And the difference for how we usually think about sin and how Paul is talking about sin in Romans 6 is a matter of agency. When I drop the hammer, I sinned. Paul says sin has its own agency. It has its own desires. It has its own power. And it could just sweep you away. In fact, it's like a master and a slave, with sin being the master, and he's looking at all of us as its slave. In verse 19, he says this, he says, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your, your human limitations. In fact, he gives this example of master-slave, it's a fairly crude example because it's a crude example for those in Rome. No one wants to be in a situation where they're a slave. No one wants to be a slave. In fact, it's a fairly crude and maybe outdated illustration for us as well. But N.T. Wright would say it's like saying this. It's like living in a bad neighborhood. And your landlord... And your landlord has completely control over your life. In fact, 
he charges you way too much rent. And you discover he's actually a mob boss. And so he has rival gangs and he picks fights with those gangs and arguments. And he's constantly calling on you. Hey, come join. Come get in the fight. Because if you don't, he threatens you with violence. Or he threatens to evict you from your house. He threatens to ruin your reputation, in fact, ruin your whole life. And so in fear, you join in. He throws parties in the neighborhood where everyone gets drunk and then ransacks the neighborhood. The rule of the neighborhood is that everyone views everyone else's body as public property to be used and looked at as one pleases. The, the landlord demands tools you would use to prepare, repair your house like a hammer or a screwdriver. He demands that those tools now be used to break into your neighbor's home and take things that are not yours. And that baseball bat, that baseball bat that you bought to play friendly pickup games with your neighbors, you must keep it beside your bed and use it as a weapon just in case someone breaks in. You are not free. Paul says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. Our text today begins with this word, therefore, which means it's right in the middle of a section. And as a Bible guy, to be quite nerdy, I remember my Greek teacher in college what an exciting class. I can only say that because Jim Dvorak's not here today. Sorry, Jim, if you're watching. I remember my Greek teacher used to say, whenever you see therefore, you have to look what the there is for. So, if you want to go back and look, it begins with therefore. Well, why is the there? What's the therefore? If you go back to the beginning of chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, it says this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live at it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. For if we have been united with him in his death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin 
might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. See, Paul says, he goes on to argue, if we kind of follow this narrative, he says that while the ruthless mobster landlord was away, one day you woke up. And you realize, this is not the neighborhood I want to live in. One day you woke up and said, this is not the life I want to live. So you cross over the river through the waters of baptism and move to the other side into a new house and settle into a new life. And the new landlord on this side of the river, he's strikingly different than the one on the other side of the river. This landlord welcomes you with open arms. He charges a lot less rent. And his demands are quite different. He calls you into his work. Not the nasty battles with your neighbors and the immature arguments that the old landlord used to call you into. But good work like feeding the hungry and helping the poor and caring for widows and orphans. He asks you to bring your tools, your hammer and your screwdriver to use for his work. Not to fashion them into weapons of destruction and theft and violence. But to build hospitals for the sick and schools to educate children. And when your hot water heater breaks in the winter, or your air conditioner in your house goes kaput in the summer, he doesn't ignore it. He comes right over, and he replaces both of them, and he doesn't even charge you for it. And when you get sick, This landlord brings you chicken soup and good medicine. And when you experience loss and a death in the family, this landlord is the first one to show up. And he sits with you. And he cries with you. And that baseball bat, that one that used to sit by your bed as a weapon, now it's shared by many in so many pickup games that happen throughout the neighborhood. Or you used to dread your life and your work of your old landlord, how'd you do? You now wake up looking forward to a new day. You gladly do the work of the new landlord with energy and joy. And you spend your day singing praises to the landlord. You're not entirely free. But life is different. But fairly soon, that old landlord's coming back. And he's going to notice you've left. And he's going to come to your house asking, where have you gone? 
Why did you leave? Where's my rent? Why haven't I, you done the things I left for you to do? And you say, well, I've moved. He says, if you don't come back, I'm going to get a lawyer. I'm going to come get everything you have. And he threatens you by saying, and if that doesn't work, I'm going to bring my gang. And there's going to be trouble. And you're very tempted because of fear to return to your old life. But Paul says in Romans 6, this is what he says. When the landlord comes back and demands, demands that you come back to those old habits and that old way of life and submit to this mobster of a landlord, Paul's response is simply this. You were baptized. That's Paul's response. You were baptized. And you died to sin. You died to that landlord. But here's the problem. It doesn't feel like I've died to sin. It doesn't feel like I've died to that other landlord. Sure, Paul, I was baptized. But it doesn't feel like those things have died in my life. In fact, Martin Luther, the great reformer, once said this famously. He says, sin is an animal I drowned in the waters of baptism. And then I discovered that it could swim. Sin is an animal that I drowned at baptism, only to discover that sin could swim. We've had many baptisms recently. And forgive me if I, there's so many, I, forgive me if I don't have them all, but Jesse Bailey, Grace Watson, Matt Audie, Megan, my, I think uh, Dwayne said this morning, Kirby and Kenzie Buck, who I hope I'm not, I'm probably doing a big time spoiler alert. But they're going to be baptized this Tuesday at 2 p.m. Just five in the past, like, week and a half. And let me say to those of you who are baptized or recently baptized, your old landlord is coming after you. And we know that because those of us who are older... We've experienced this, right? We drowned that animal only to discover that thing could swim. And those of us who are baptized know the demands of sin. It says you must live like this. You must pe put people down in order to get a leg up. 
You must party to have a good time or you'll miss out. You must indulge in your sexual appetites or you'll never be satisfied. You must extend your business empire and make as much money as you can or your whole economy will fall apart. You must want what every, everyone else wants and get what everyone else has or you might not fit in. You must act and speak in certain ways or you'll be laughed at. You must defend yourself at all costs or your enemies might take advantage of you. You must obey your own desires or you will not be free. And even though we have those of us in this room who've drowned the animal of sin, the waters of baptism, only to discover that sin could swim. Paul's response to us still is to say, you were baptized. In fact, Martin Luther also had a very famous quote that whenever he was tempted, he would shout out at the top of his lungs whenever he felt temptation, he would shout out, I'm baptized! To remind himself that he had crossed over. Your baptism, it marks your life. That you have gone from the reign of a mobster, of a landlord who's a mobster and a thief and a crook. You've gone from the reign of sin and death to the reign of God. You've crossed over from being obedient to sin to being a slave of sin to now being obedient to righteousness. And becoming a slave of God. Paul says, you were baptized. Why would you go back? Strangely enough, spending seven weeks in Uganda, one, there, was a, there were lots of themes that came up during my time in Uganda, but one of them was experiences with witch doctors, believe it or not. I've actually spent a decent amount of time with a couple of witch doctors in my time in Uganda. Some of that was just occasionally coming across them in the village, seeing them, and there was a big crowd out on the road, and I asked what's going on, and there's a guy in the middle, like a magician, pulling stuff out of his sleeves, and I mean, he's not really doing that, but it looks like a magician. You're like, oh, that's the local witch doctor. Funny enough, the local witch doctor looks exactly like the local villager. You wouldn't have been able to tell them apart. And I'd actually spent some time in Uganda visiting witch doctors. I went to learn. Because I knew while many in Uganda, the vast majority are Christians, there's still those habits of getting called back. In fact, one Ugandan told me that Christianity was good for the daytime, but witchcraft is good at night. Which, by the way, you go to church in the daytime, you go to the witch doctor at night. And so one of my students, his name was Jack from Pepperdine University, 
we do this thing where we send them out. We call it a cultural safari. We send them out with church members. They stay out in the mud. They stay out in the village in mud huts, and we just drop them off. Say, "Hey, see you uh, tomorrow." And so they get 24 hours to live in a village and go fetch water and slaughter the chicken and do all the things that you do out in the village. Yes, you don't buy chicken at the grocery store in the village. You actually slaughter it. And he said, he came back with this amazing story. He came back and he said, man, I was out there and I met a witch doctor. At first I thought, really? You met a witch doctor? And he goes, no, yeah, we started talking about it. And he said, this witch doctor, I asked him, why are you a witch doctor? And he says, well, one, I have to obey these spirits. Two, it's my job. I get lots of money. Then he says, well, Jack was a very evangelistic young man. And this guy kept talking about how he had to follow these spirits who had control over his life, and he had to obey. And he says, well, Have you ever have you ever tried the Holy Spirit? And the witch doctor says, Yeah, I actually have tried. He goes, but it didn't work for me so well. To which this bright student said, Well, the witch doctor actually said, Well, I, I tried to get it to do certain things, but it wouldn't. And Jack said, Well, that's not exactly how it works. The Holy Spirit doesn't submit to you. You are the one to submit to the Holy Spirit. And the witch doctor said, that sounds good. If this Holy Spirit is as good as you say it is, I'd love to be out. And serving the Spirit. And then it got us talking about witchcraft, which is when you talk about Christianity and culture, we talk quite a bit about this. And it led me to have some conversations to where we actually, it wasn't planned. I mean, we planned it, but I hadn't previously planned it. We went out and I took the students to visit uh, a, a local witch doctor. In fact, it was the witch doctor who is in the region of the king, the cultural and, and tribal king of Busoga. The tribal king, his name, his title is the Chabazinga, which means the ruler over the people. And it was a woman, she was a witch doctor, and she lived at the bottom of the hill with a palace set at the top. And she told stories. Students asked her, how'd you become a witch doctor? And she told stories about how her mom came into the room in the mud hut and she saw a snake over her, but the snake, it didn't bite her. And when they tried to shoo away the snake, the kid, she got sick. And so they finally left the snake alone, and then she was okay. The snake came back to visit. And she talked about how you have to obey these spirits. They don't have control. That I have to obey them. I have to do what they say for the well-being of the people. I have to do what they say for my own well-being. And then she told us a story 
about how witch doctors are buried. They're not buried like everyone else in Soga culture, in Ugandan culture. In fact, she says, we bury at night around 10 or 11 o'clock. He goes, all the witch doctors from the neighboring villages in the area come in, and after everyone else is left from the funeral, it's rather an odd thing. I had a friend that said they went to a funeral, and they got ready to, to actually lower the body down into the grave, which they don't pay people to do that in Uganda. You actually do it. I've done it quite a, quite a lot, actually. They got ready to lower the body in the grave and start shoveling dirt. And though they lowered the body in the grave and they were ready to shovel dirt, they says, no, 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 let's leave it. Let's don't bury him yet. And they're like, well, wait, we got to bury. Don't you want to bury? Aren't you going to bury? He goes, no, no, no. We have other friends coming that want to see the body. So my, preacher, my, my friend who's a preacher said, well, that was odd. Only to discover later that the friends that were coming were witch doctors. Because this man was a witch doctor. And she said, the reason, I said, why do you bury at 10 or 11 o'clock at night? He goes, because if we bury, the belief is that if you bury at night, the spirits won't see where they buried you and they can't find you anymore. And then few weeks later, I was with my family, and one of the times I got to preach in the village, I preached in a village called Iwololo. Yeah, try saying that, Iwololo. Exactly. I what? I preached in Iwololo, and my good friend Alex had told me before we went there, it's a village of about 600 people, and he says, ah, My village is much different than it used to be. This is a fairly new church, one that was planted after we left. And he says, "Uh, my village is a lot different than it used to be. I go, how so? And he goes, well, there used to be a lot of witchcraft in my village. I said, really? He goes, yeah, there were like six witch doctors. That's a lot for one village. I go, really? Well, how has it changed? I go, what? He goes, well, first of all, See that guy sitting in the back corner? His name is Moses Jurumuka. Six months ago, he was a witch doctor. Now he's baptized into Jesus Christ. So this is my friend, my new friend, with Kim and I. His name is Moses Jurumuka. Moses Jurumuka has spent most of his adult life as a witch doctor. The money was good. And I said, what's the difference in your life? He said, well, I go, how has it, has it been a challenge for you? What's it been like? He says, well, I've made a lot of money. But I was involved in a lot of disputes and fights and problems when I was a witch doctor. And I said, so how did this happen? What did you do? And he goes, well, when I was baptized, on the day of my baptism, I took all my tools for witchcraft, and a whole community came together, and we put them in the center of town and doused them with kerosene and threw a match on them and burned them all. Which in Uganda is the only real way a witch doctor converts. 
If a witch doctor says is baptized but doesn't burn his witch, witchcraft tools, he hasn't converted. And he said, it's been hard. You know, I lost my business. And when I became a Christian, people scorned me and laughed at me and begged me to come back. But I said, Moses, how do you feel now that you're not a witch doctor? How do you feel now that you're in Jesus Christ? And Moses got a big smile on his face, and he says, I feel free. According to Paul, he's not free. According to Paul, God is now his master. And he is a slave to righteousness. But according to Moses, this feels like freedom. Romans 6, beginning in verse 12, says this. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you would obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one you obey? Whether you're slaves of, to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be a slave of sin... You have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. But just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's stand and sing.